there in Mark chapter 6. And we'll look at these first six verses. If you have your Bibles, you've found your place. Stand with me as we read our text. And we'll read through these six verses. It says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogues. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do not... Uh, he could do there no mighty works, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the village teaching. We see here where Jesus enters his hometown, his place of childhood upbringing. But he was rejected. Couldn't help but think, you know, in the Christian life, as we serve, as we lead, as we seek to live godly lives. If you've been doing it very long, you'll find there comes with it a degree or form of rejection. For Jesus, it was among his neighbors, his friends, his possibly even family members. For us, sometimes it's other believers. It's within the community, maybe in our family. But... As children of God, as believers, we realize we're going to face rejection. The key is to how we respond to it. So we're going to talk about that this morning, responding to rejection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God that teaches us and leads us and instructs us. Lord, may we be instructed in truth this morning. Help us to only say what's necessary, be led of the Spirit to allow you to work. Pray you'd encourage and strengthen us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The chapter begins here in verse number one by saying he went out from thence and came into his own country. We're not going to cover it in depth, but in chapter five we find where he had entered the, this area of the Gadarenes. He meets this, whom we call the maniac of Gadara, this man who was possessed by a devil. He heals this man, he casts out the spirit, and, and this man gets saved. And uh, he leaves from there, and uh, he finds himself in probably the area of Capernaum. Uh, Matthew 4.13 gives us a little bit of insight to that, where it talks about Capernaum being a place where he had located and spent some time. It talks about it being his hometown, but I don't think it was talking about this place of, of Nazareth, because... Um, he, he leaves where he was and goes to Nazareth. So I think it was probably the region of Capernaum, for sure, this, this region of Galilee. And uh, that's where he raises the, uh, the daughter of Jairus. He meets this woman who had the issue of blood. He heals her. And if you read through that chapter, you find him kind of just crossing back and forth uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, just going to where he was received and preaching and teaching and healing and the power of God was at work. You might wonder, what, what was the reason for all this? What was the reason for 
the healing and the, um, the people being raised from the dead and the miracles, well, it was really to just expose him as being who he was, and that was the very Son of God. Uh, if you're up to date in your Bible reading, you just read yesterday the last two verses of the second, cha- the second to last chapter of John, where John says, I recorded these things that through hearing you might believe. Um, this record that we have is true, that he was the very Son of God. So he's really just declaring his power, his authority, his sonship as the Son of God. And he finds his way here in chapter 6 back home. And he enters this village that he was reared in. And though maybe because of the length of time he had departed, some things had changed. You know, they'd built a a few new buildings or tore down a few old buildings. Some of you are familiar with that when you leave a place. And even if you're only gone for a year or six months and you go back and you think, I don't remember this being here, that being here. But I'm sure he remembered the old faces and remembered the, the people whom he had been raised around. And the Bible tells us in verse number 2 that on the Sabbath day, on their day of worship, their, their Saturday or their Sabbath, he went into the synagogue, he went into the, the place of worship, and he begins to teach. And it says, and many hearing him were astonished. They were set back, they were, they were amazed at his preaching, they were amazed at his teaching, they were amazed at his ability to communicate. You remember that this comes up in more than one time where it says that Jesus spoke with authority, not as the scribes. They said there's something different about the way this man speaks and preaches and teaches. He has authority behind what he says. He really believes he has compassion and a heart while he preaches and teaches. They said in verse number 2, from, thence, or from whence hath this man these things? They said, where did he get this from? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand. They said, we remember this man, Jesus. He grew up in our city. The older folks said, I remember him when he was a boy. He was a very good, responsible, respectful, obedient young man. He stood out, but we also remember that he wasn't educated like some of the other uh, scholars in our region. He, he didn't go off to Bible college. I don't know that they said that, but they, he, he didn't go and spend time with the scribes. He didn't go and get a formal education. They said, where did he get this understanding from? Where did he get this ability from? And then they go on, and they they really begin to compare who he is today with his family and his trade in in years gone by. They said in verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? We have no evidence other than this, but it's supposed that maybe Jesus spent some time as a young man, a young adult, there in the shop of his earthly father, Joseph, and uh, spent time as a carpenter working with his hands. We don't know what form of carpentry he was involved in, but they said, we remember him. He's, He's a carpenter. He's a builder. He's strong. He's, he understands how to make cabinets or shelves or houses, whatever it might have been. But where did he get this intellect to teach? And they said, we know his family. And they named some of his family. They said, we know where he's come from. Mary was nobody. She was was basically just a peasant. It's supposed also by now that his father Joseph is dead. They said, at another place, they said, his his father was the carpenter. That's all. Just Just a poor carpenter trying to make ends meet. 
We know this family. We know where they've come from. Where do you get this from? Where do you get this intellect, this, this ability, this power? And look at the end of verse number 3. It says, and they were offended at him. They, they misunderstood who he was and what he was about. I remember many years ago, a pastor preached a sermon on a Sunday morning. I think it stood out because it was a snowy day. We didn't run the buses. And he preached the offense of the cross. That's as much of the sermon as I remember. But I, I remember it standing out because it is that the cross is offensive. The name God is not offensive. Uh, the, the phrases about, you know, your higher power and, and all these other things that they want to name for God or term for God or some kind of a deity or being, that's not offensive. Everybody has a God. But when you start talking about Jesus and his message and the cross, it becomes very offensive to so many people. And they were offended at him. Verse number four says, And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Isn't that true? Sometimes the familiarity of someone, the knowledge of who they were in years gone by, it often shades their character or their ability in the present. I was talking to our teens this morning about the importance of guarding our words. And how often we see, especially in the political world, of words and phrases and conversations being dug up that had happened decades, literally decades ago, sometimes scores of years ago, to cast dirt at someone. And often those words really set them back. Your words are so valuable, so important. But unfortunately, sometimes we take the past or the memory of what we have someone and apply it to the present when their lives have changed in many ways. Whereas we take someone we didn't know in the past, and even though they may have been worse than the person we knew in the past, and we put them on a pedestal as if they've never sinned or they're flawless. You know, if you could take the past of anyone, whether you've known them or not, you'll find flaws in them. Here, Jesus, they couldn't even find flaws in him, yet because they had known him, they were offended by him. And Jesus said, in my own country, that's the only place I'm not accepted. In verse 5, look at this, such a... Sad phrase here. It says, and he could there do no mighty works. In this area, in his hometown, in the place where he was raised, in the place where he was familiar, in the place where they knew him on a first name basis, he couldn't do many miracles. Why? Because it says in just a few lines down, is because of their unbelief. Verse 6, it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. I was looking as I was studying this this morning, and two other places Jesus marvels because of, because of unbelief, but it was not their unbelief, but it was their faith. The woman of Samaria, he marveled at her faith. There was another man whom Jesus marveled at their, their faith. But you know, both of those instances, they were, they, they were people that were non-Jewish. They, they were outside the Jewish realm. Here, these people were Jews. They were within his own hometown but he was marveling, he was surprised, he was amazed at their lack of belief. And that lack of belief cost them. As I read over this, I consider we have three perspectives to look at. First of all, we have the people's perspective. Often we find ourselves in a similar place as these people of Galilee found themselves. We hear. Here they heard the word of God. 
It says on the Sabbath day in verse 2, when it was come, he began to teach in the synagogues and many hearing him. We hear the word of God often, sometimes at church, in a setting like this, we hear preaching in a Sunday school class that some of you were in an hour or so ago, you heard teaching. Uh, Maybe you were raised around the word of God and you heard the word of God taught at home or maybe in school. You read the Bible in your own personal time. You listen to maybe some type of audio, almost like cassettes. I still have some preaching cassettes. Uh, Most people don't. Um, But I drive an old car and it's got a cassette player, okay? So um, you've got ways and means to listen to the Word of God. You could listen to it 24-7 if you wanted to. We hear the Word of God all the time. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's a requirement to receive the Word of God through hearing in some form or fashion. We read there in Romans where it says, how can we, they call on him in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? It's required that someone go and teach them and tell them. As I spoke to the teens this morning, I was talking about the importance of our communication. How we communicate our words. How we um, express what's going on within our heart. Because that's the means by which God told us to give the gospel through communication. The word of God was given and they heard. But we find that through the Word of God, they were affected, which the Word of God typically does. It affects us. It it, it does something within us. Now, for them, it affected them really in a negative way. Isn't that interesting? Oftentimes, we think if we could just tell someone the message, if we could just get the Word of God to them, it would make a difference. Well, it made a difference in these guys' lives, but it really made a negative impact on them. Now, was there anything wrong with the word? No, it was, I mean, the the Son of God himself was teaching it. You couldn't say, you know, I I invited my friend to church, but if that guy wasn't preaching, I bet bet he would have really got something good. Or if so-and-so wouldn't have sang that song. But, I mean, if you were in the synagogue this morning, it was the Son of God in the flesh teaching his own word. But they were effective, really, in a negative way. Now, was it the... The teaching, the problem with the teaching? No. Uh, uh, A problem with the message? No. It was a problem with their receptive heart or their lack of receptivity. We find that, first of all, they heard, they were affected, said they were astonished, they were amazed. And then we're left at that point with the need to respond. How are you going to respond to the word of God that you hear? You're forced to respond. Now, you could say, I'm just going to be indifferent. I'm going to walk away without, without making decisions. But the problem is you've made a decision. You, you've made the decision to reject in your response. Here they responded negatively by what they heard. They, they re- responded poorly. They were offended at him because of misunderstandings. They misunderstood him. They misunderstood his message. And they walked away untouched and unchanged. And that's the fourth thing. They were unchanged. What a shame it is for people to sit in services like this, and not because I'm up here preaching, because I have, I have no ability in my own strength or in my own self, but the Word of God has power when it's received. I was in the back, and Brother John said, what's the title to the sermon? I said, I'm not even sure if I know what I'm preaching yet, no less a title. I said, I always forget to think of a title, and when I do, they're normally not very good. So, normally Aaron gives me a title in the back. He's not here, so um, I had to come up with a title. I was standing, Brother Sofredo was back there, and we were joking about 
famous sermons. He said, you know, just call it sinners in the hands of an angry God. And, uh, and so I was, I was going to, you know, pick some classic preaching title to give it. But, you know, if you look back on some of those sermons that impacted the world, like that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you remember the, the, the messenger, Jonathan Edwards, they said he stood behind the podium with his head down and just read the message. Never raised his voice. Never even looked at the audience. And they said the people under conviction gripped their pews responding to the sermon. Say, what was the difference? Their hearts were touched because of the power of the Word of God. Not because of the preacher. Not because of the delivery. But because of the power that was there the influence that God had on those services. Now, you could give a lot of credit to men like Jonathan Edwards. They said he would, when he'd come to town, he would spend the nights prior praying. All night long he would pray before he'd stand and preach. But I think there was something different in the communities. There was something different in the families where they were hungry for the things of God. They were longing for a change in their life. And they came in expecting something and they walked away changed. Here are these people, they came seemingly to find problems and, and issues. And isn't that such a, 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 an issue sometimes we face in our humanity? We come in and we say, oh man, look at so-and-so. They wore that same outfit last week and it uh, looks like you know, so-and-so is going to sing again this week. And you know, I, I hope he doesn't go too long and you know, I want to get home for this. And, and, and we're just, it's like we come in just looking for problems. By the way, the Bible talks... A lot about things, people like that, or attitudes like that. The, the, the sowing of discord and the attitude of, of looking for faults and guilt. As the song was given a little while ago, that's the, that's the attitude of Satan. He's looking to find fault in us. As believers, that ought to be the last thing we're looking for in, in other believers when we come into the house of God. Instead, we ought to come in expecting to hear from God that we might leave different than how we came in. But here are these people, they walked away unchanged. Proverbs 13, 13 says, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. You know, these people walked away hearing a message from God Almighty, and they weren't affected slightly. What a shame, what a pity for those people. I think of the... uh, the words of Christ later when he says, you know, woe unto thee, and he names these cities, and he said, if, if the works that were done here would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But your hard hearts have rejected. He said, it would be better for them of Sodom on judgment day, day than it will be for you. What a pity for those who grow up in churches like this and hear the word of God week after week after week, but they fail to let it affect them and change them. That, that was the response of the people. We see the response or the perspective of the Lord. First of all, let me just give you a few things. Look at verse number 6. It says, And he marveled because of their unbelief. After he was rejected, after he understood their naysaying and their complaints and their criticism, he did one thing. He just marveled. He, he, he said, I'm shocked. Shocked at the response. But he didn't get mad. He didn't get upset. He didn't complain. He didn't go back to the disciples and say, well, we're never coming back to this city again. 
You know, these bunch of un, you know, ungodly individuals. Now, that was the response often of them. Remember after uh, the Samaritans rejected Christ, you know, the disciples in their, their spiritual mindset said, Jesus, this would be a good time to demonstrate the power of God when Elijah called down fire on those, uh, those false prophets. Can we just call fire down on this whole city and burn it up? I mean, they, they said, this is probably the best method of revenge here. This is probably the, the, the thing that would help us the most. Just let's consume this whole crowd. Jesus said, you know not what spirit you're of. You remember that? Here he, he's rejected, but he doesn't get upset. He doesn't throw a fit. He just marvels. He says, it's amazing. That's it. Very, very, very simply, very subtly, very calmly. Secondly, he was unwavered, although criticized. In verse number 6, it says, And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the village teaching. He said, you know, you've criticized me, you've rejected me, but I, I still have a purpose, I still have a message, I still have a, a plan for today. And he just went where he could be received, and went into the villages, went into the countryside, went into the, maybe around the poor folk, and he, he began to share the gospel with them. Thirdly, he was undeterred. He said, I'm not going to let an obstacle cause me to back up in my ministry or in my calling. I'm going to stay focused. I, I, I'm going to stay directed unto the calling that I've been called unto. And then fourthly, he was unscathed. He, he didn't allow this incident down the road into the future to be a reminder of him of hurt and, and cause fear in, in his life. How often do we do that? We, we, we are rejected in an area, and so we never, we never pursue that area again. Uh, may, maybe it's with something small. You know, you're, I've heard about people going into an interview or trying to get a job, and they, they fail the interview, and they, they get rejected, or they get fired from a certain um, employment, so they never want to pursue that career again. Well, the problem was it wasn't the career that you know, caused the rejection in the first place. You're missing the whole point. But sometimes we, co- we, we allow problems in our life to cause fear and to give us a, a notch or a, a setback to where we never want to pursue that area again. I was talking to the young people last week. I, I encouraged the first, second, and third graders this summer to do a handful of things that caused a degree of fear because it was out of their comfort zone. I said, I, I want you to plan this year. So often, I, I, get, I have a little chat time at the beginning. I said, what would you do this week? We watched a movie. I, I played video games. Come on, kids. You know, can you do something exciting beyond, you know, in front of a TV? So I encouraged them to do one thing, or five, actually five things, just one thing a week maybe for the next few weeks. One thing that would, you have to actually step out and, and be a little bit courageous, maybe do something that causes a bit of what you might call embarrassment. And I told them the story about how the first time I, uh, someone had me preach in a children's church. And I said, I don't remember exactly how it went, but I can assure you it wasn't very good. Nothing's changed much, but um, it wasn't the greatest thing. But I said, you know what, I'm glad. I'm glad the person that had me teach didn't say, okay, you know, you didn't do a good job, so if you don't want to do it anymore, you don't have to. No, a few weeks down the road, whether I wanted to or not, he had me preach again. He had me teach again. I was talking to someone that afternoon in the nursing home, a lady that was there visiting her parent, and uh, I was reminded of a, a time when I was riding a bus. I, I think I was 11 years old. 
I forget why I have the, uh, such a clear memory of this, but we were on the bus, and I was there kind of as a, you know, a helper, but, you know, kind of didn't, wasn't really doing anything, uh, you know, an inactive helper. Um, and she looked at me. I was at midway back of the bus. We were at Pacific Summit, or not Pacific Summit, Villa, Villa Village, I think, one of those areas in Villa Ridge. And she said, Justin, how about you leading the next song? And she named the song. And it, wasn't a, it really wasn't a question. It was, you know, right now, go. And, uh, and I led this song. And it took me out of my comfort zone. But I, I told her last week, I said, I'm glad there was people in my life that kind of pushed me out and, and forced me to do things I didn't necessarily want to do. Because it's good for you to do that. It's good for you to be a witness. It's good for you to step out. You say, what happens if they make fun of me or I'm rejected? Well, remember, they rejected Christ. But he said, I'm not going to allow this rejection or this fear or this disability or this setback or whatever it may be that caused a limitation in my ministry or in my personal development or in my marriage or in my family relations. I'm not going to allow that to haunt me the rest of my life. I suppose that no one really even knew about this incident except it was recorded here in the, in the Gospels. I, I can't imagine Jesus going back and really complaining and whining to his disciples saying, oh, we were just rejected again, you know, woe is us. No one's ever going to listen to us. He was unscathed. He was, he was really unharmed by, by this issue. And you say, well, that was Jesus. And it was. So how, what is our response or what is our perspective to a situation such as this? Let me give you just a few thoughts and we'll wrap up. Number one, our past, our peers, and our problems do not determine our focus our family, or our future. So often people think, because I was raised in this environment, I've got to raise my family in that environment. Sometimes it's not a, a necessarily a spoken or a, a thought-out thing, but that's the, that's the way the enemy works. The same thing, oftentimes you see this, the same things that, that were a temptation to your family members in the past or a temptation to you today. And if you don't end that cycle, it's going to be a temptation to your family members in the future. But those things don't determine who you are. Your peers don't determine who you are. Um, not just in, we, we talk about this among our youth often, about the peer pressure, but often there's peer pressure among adults. There's peer pressure in, in what to wear and, and, and uh, you know, styles to pursue and entertainment to follow after and, and feelings to have. But the people around you and the past that you were involved in does not determine who you can or should be in the future, and more so in the present. When we're faced with rejection, when we're faced with opposition, when we have setbacks, when we are maybe raised around limitations, those things shouldn't keep us from moving forward in the future. Think about the people in the Bible often who Jesus uses, God uses, Think about just the apostles. Now, some of them were intellectual individuals, like I think Matthew, who's a tax collector. I suppose he had a, a bit of uh, education and upbringing. But some of these men were just fishermen. Some of them we know little or nothing about their past. But we suppose, you can't help but suppose, some of the villages that they came out of were very poor. Uh, some of their, their resources and the access they had was limited. But Jesus said, you follow me and I'll use you to do something great. You look at men like Abraham, called out to a, to a land that he knew not, into a, a desolate 
region. And there he is all alone, just his family, thinking, God, this is, this is what you brought me to? For what? And God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you if you'll just trust me and follow me. You look at men like Moses, just tending sheep on the backside of the wilderness. Same with David. He, he said, God brought me from following the ewes, following the sheep, to lead Israel. You look even at Jesus. That's why, he was, that's why he was looked down upon because of his upbringing and his family members and his family ties and even his community. Remember, that's what Nathaniel said. Uh, you know, no, no, nothing can come out of uh, Nazareth. No, nothing can come out of this region. Nothing of, of excellence or greatness. But Jesus proved it and so many others proved it that that shouldn't be what determines our future. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 25. Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, verse 27, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound things which are mighty, the, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He says he's called many that are of low estate and, and base and down at the bottom and brought them up to serve him. For if nothing else, the purpose being that there is nothing that they could glory in except God. So we see our perspective. First of all, our past should determine our future. Number two, our purpose is not subject to culture, acceptance, or popularity. See, what you say, well, what kept Jesus focused? What, what kept him in, a, in the right direction? I think it was his purpose. He knew what his purpose was, and he tells us very clearly in another place when he says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I'm looking for someone who's lost and that will receive me, and that's what, I, that's what I'm going after. And if you reject me, I'll move on to you. And if you reject me, I'll go on to you. And if you reject me, I'll just keep looking for that one. Amen. How often has it been where lost men have turned a deaf ear to the gospel? And Jesus doesn't say, you know, I'm going to bully your way, my way into your life, or I'm going to force you into heaven. No, he says, all right, I'll move on to you. And if you, whether you receive me or reject me, I'm just going to keep moving. That's why it's so vital that you respond immediately to the Word of God. Now for some, maybe you look back on a life for even weeks or months or heard testimonies like this where God just kept prompting you and prompting you and prompting you. For others, you may have the testimony where you went for months and years where God had no thoughts in your life and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, He, he began to work on your life and work on your heart. Think of that passage in Proverbs 
where it says, speaking about wisdom, but I think it applies to really God wanting to work. He says, he says you've rejected me, you've, you've said no to wisdom, you said no, you said no, you said no. And then it says, then I'll laugh when your calamity cometh, because you, I called and you received not. I think there's going to be many who one day cry out to God for help, but it's going to be too late for them. God will speak to us. God will draw us. God will attempt to bring us into the fold. But if, he doesn't, if, we, if we don't respond and receive him, he's going to find someone else. In the ministry, in, in this Christian life, in, in really just living a godly example, that's really how it ought to be for us. We try to evangelize. We try to witness. We try to encourage people. What do you do when they don't respond to you? What do you do when you don't, they don't receive you? Well, you can, you know, have a pity party, you can throw a fit, you can, you can complain, you can whine, or you can keep your focus on your, keep focus on your purpose and say, God's called me to reach somebody, I'm going to find them. And it's obviously not you. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean we give up on everyone that says no. Um, I think we ought to be concerned and pray for them. I think we ought to have compassion. But when, when, when they say no to us, that shouldn't cause us to quit, that ought to just help us understand, well, there's 7 billion people in the world. God has at least one person for me to reach. It's not you. So, you know, we're, we're down one. We're, we're going to narrow this thing down one, one way or the other. Keep your focus in mind. What is your focus? Why, why are you doing the things you're doing? I think for so many people, they have no idea. Uh, I, I, I saw an example of this. It was really a business training or teaching. But they said, uh, and so many times in, the, in the, uh, the, the, the corporate world or just in a business uh, uh, world, you have the mass of people who know what to do. They come to work every day, you know, they, they, they run on the assembly line, maybe they sell things, they sit behind a desk, whatever. They know what to do. If you ask them, what do you do? And they can tell you. We know what we're doing. But there's a very few amount of people that really know why they do what they do. If you were to ask them, well, why do you go to work? Well, to get money. Why do you need money? Well, my family needs money to pay my bills. Why do you need, you know, and it's just this kind of revolving door where there's really no end to it. And sometimes in the Christian life, people live the same way. They just say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to do this. I go to this church. I think I'm supposed to do that. And that's just the, that's how they live their life. But to the person who understands they have a purpose, and it's more than just obeying rules, it's more than just fulfilling some kind of standard or ordinance, it's more than just living a Christian life because we're saved and one day going to heaven. God has a thing for me to do while I'm here. Amen. For those who understand that, and you say, well, that's not me, I beg to differ with the authority of the Word of God. If you've been here the last couple weeks as we studied our spiritual gifts, God's, the Bible says that God has given to every man a gift. Something for you to be doing. You say, well, I don't know what it is, or I, I don't have one. Well, take it up with God. You know, argue with God if you want to, because he's the one that said you have it. All right? And so if you want to deny that, if you want to re- refuse to uh, take heed to that, that's also up to you, and you can take it up with him on Judgment Day. What a, what a pity it would be to find one day God had all these tools and resources, but I was so consumed at just living my life and raising my family and enjoying the day that I missed out on what God had for me. We see, first of all, that our past should not determine our future, our upbringing, our household, our associates. That that doesn't determine who we are today. 
Our purpose isn't subject to the things around us. And finally, our response to rejection should also always be received with understanding. You know, he understood these people. Now, obviously, Jesus had a different insight than we have. He understood their, their, their thoughts, their motives. Their, he could hear their whispers. He knew what was going on in their life. We don't know that. But when we're rejected, whether it be of someone close to us, as I think Pastor mentioned this just the other day, one of the hardest things he said in the ministry was being rejected by people who were very close to him. And naturally, that would be the case. But even sometimes we're rejected of men whom we don't even know, or we have this fear of rejection that's never taken place yet. Isn't it amazing how, you know, God prompts you to witness to someone, and you, you, know, you reach down, and you say, I, have, I think I have a track in my pocket. And I know God really wants me to give it out to this guy, but what will you think about me? And, you know, you're kind of hesitating. You walk over a little closer, and you think, there's the guy right there. He looks like a rebel. He needs the gospel. And you think, what's he going to say about it? You know, it's... I mean, you don't know who this guy is, but he, he's not going to hurt a fly. But you're worried about what, what, how he's going to respond to it. Isn't that amazing? Even as, as adults, men who, you know, uh, they're scared to witness to a little old granny. As if, you know, what, what's she going to do to you? You know, is she going to make fun of you? Is she, you know, you're never going to see her again in your life. Yet there's still this fear of rejection. Humanity has it. But if we could get a form of understanding... That when we, when we witness, this is what Jesus told the disciples, they've rejected me, how much more are they going to reject the servant? They reject the master, they're going to reject the servant. If we could get a, a, a measure of understanding that says, there's going to be a lot of people that reject this message, but God didn't have me share it because it's not going to be rejected. He had me share it because that's, that's my purpose, that's my calling. And we could share it even though we know rejection is coming. If we could understand that this person isn't where I am spiritually. He's lost. He's missing. He, he, he's, he's, he's short of what spiritual understanding and wisdom God's given me. If we could have a, a, a better understanding even among church members. Isn't it, isn't it incredible sometimes how quick we misunderstand people. Someone says something, we think, man, how could they say that, this and this? And then we find out later, you know, there was an issue that they were going through, and we think, man, I really feel bad about that. <laughs> I, shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have thought that. If you were in the, uh, uh, reading through uh, Second Samuel, I think it was, remember when David, this, this other king, died, and he said, I'm going to send some of my servants to, sh- to bring presents to them. And uh, so he sends his servants in, they bring these presents, and the king said, some of his men said, he's just, these are spies, they're not real present givers. And he, so he, he shamefully sent them back, and it made David mad. Don't make David mad. David said, okay, you don't accept presents, we'll come kill you. And basically they went in and destroyed the whole city. You know, um, it, it's amazing sometimes, we, we have things happen in our life, and we just immediately jump to conclusion. But if we could live with a spiritual understanding of people. Now that's not easy. Because some of you are really hard to understand. On Father's Day, the wives know that best. The the men are just hard to understand. Their personalities, their mood swings, you know, their their mind changings. They're hard to understand. They're, they're, They're hard creatures to understand. But we're all wired different. We all have different personalities. 
We all have different feelings. I was taught this, and remember when Jesus, the, uh, um, he went to see Lazarus? Lazarus has been dead, you know, and uh, he went to see him anyways, and he says, um, he, he gets there, and Martha comes to him, and she just demands answers. She says, Jesus, why weren't you here? And, and he's dead if you had been here. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And she said, yeah, but he's, I know he'll resurrect one day in, the, you know, in, in years to come, but right now he's dead. And she said, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. And he begins to teach her. And he spends several moments there just instructing Martha. And then Mary shows up, and she asks the same question. Why weren't you here? And Jesus begins to weep with her. You know, I, I passed over that many times, but it's interesting. Jesus knew Martha needed answers. Mary needed a shoulder to cry on. You know, when we face people, Jesus faced these people, and he had so much compassion for them. Can you imagine the compassion? He goes home, and he says, I want to win my family. I want to win my friends. I want to win my community. And he's rejected by all of them. And he doesn't storm out. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't get hostile. He just understands where they're coming from. And he says, okay, if you don't want me, I'll move on. And I'll help the person down the road. Could I encourage you today as a church, as a community, as family members? Understand your purpose. We have a message to give. We have godly lives to live. We do have families to raise. We have a church to strengthen and encourage. But in the midst of it, may we develop a spirit of understanding. Could we develop a spirit of reception to others? Maybe, maybe the next time you're tempted to complain or criticize or backbite, why don't you consider considering? Why don't you consider this, the, the, this avenue of acceptance and, and, and reception to others. You say, well, you don't know what they've done. Well, no, but as we, the, the song sang a little while ago, I do know what you've done. And before a holy God, you stood condemned, as I did too. But in his love and his mercy and his grace, he came to us where we were and brought us unto himself. How dare we as believers who have been given this great gift, all this love, all this mercy, how could we not show mercy with others around us with a spirit of understanding? Let's take the examples of Christ and let's apply them that we might be better individuals, that we might be better on this Father's Day, better fathers, that we might be better witnesses, that we might just be better people. As we understand the people around us, you say, well, I can't understand them. Well, at least try. Let's start by trying. Instead of getting angry and upset and rejecting them for their rejection of you, let's do what Christ did. And maybe move on. Maybe you say, well, I can't stay here anymore. I can't, I'm not going to, you know, continue to spend my time here if you're going to reject me. And I'll move on. But I'm not going to criticize you. I'm not going to tear you down. Call me when you need me. But I'll move on and I'll continue my purpose in another place. That we might respond in a godly way to rejection.